Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Money FM. I'm Lin Lee. Singapore is often fondly referred to as the little red dot. And because of that scarcity of land, urban planning is a significant part of the city's development plan with a big focus put on regularly refining its urban dwellers' living environment, especially in HDB towns, which house some 80% of our population. At a recent grassroots event, Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong ensured Singaporeans that the government is striving hard to ensure all HDB towns are highly livable through good planning and maintenance as well as up-to-date amenities that meet their living needs. To put into perspective why urban planning is so important for Singapore as our needs evolve, we're joined by Harvey Neo, Senior Fellow at the Singapore University of Technology and Design's Lee Kuan Yew Centre for Innovative Cities. Good morning, Harvey. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good to have you with us. Now, what are the key changes you've observed in uh, people's needs over the years? Well, I think people's basic needs do not change much. But what they truly desire perhaps has become more variegated. So, in other words, uh, one-size-fits-all kind of planning may not uh, really address the demand of people. Okay, let's take a step back here to touch on planning for HDB towns in Singapore. How do urban planners map out what kind of amenities are needed? Uh, well, that, that's a really good question. Um, I think basic needs do not change much. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that, you know, as planners, uh, having the kind of expertise and domain knowledge what they could probably aspire for is to offer amenities that uh, residents do not necessarily think that they need until they are faced with that option. So there are some examples like that, including in the last couple of years, we have HDB installing um, in a block, mm-hmm. rain harvesting uh, a system. So to collect a rain, a rain runoff to kind of increase our water supply. So that's something that's quite innovative and, and not necessarily what people were thinking of. But then the, the, the planners and HDB, they are far-sighted enough to offer that kind of uh, amenities uh, services. Okay, so uh, as our society is becoming increasingly diverse, what factors uh, do you think need to be taken into consideration to ensure inclusivity and how is that incorporated into infrastructure planning? Um, ensuring inclusivity in, in planning in diverse societies is always very challenging because uh, society being diverse, right, it would have countless different and sometimes quite antagonizing demands. So I, I think to give a simple answer to this quite complex question, uh, what we are thinking of should be inclusivity that's underpinned by uh, equity and empathy. In other words, planners need to listen empathetically and then plan equitably such that any kind of planning right as a first principle should not make the lives of any particular group of people worse off than, than they were before. I think that's probably uh, the, 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 the kind of approach that uh, I was thinking of. Could you give us an example of that? Well, yeah. I mean, let's say the needs of youth, for instance, if they were interested in certain kinds of sports, and, you know, to, to try to be inclusive, you might think of building the kind of uh, court necessary for, for that particular youth sport. Mm-hmm. But 
if that space is taken up by the sport, but really uh, made the lives of another group of people very much worse off, I think we would reconsider uh, the location of that particular sport space. So this is, I suppose, a, a very simple principle when we deal with competing needs. If there are alternative sites, then we should always consider. And, and if we are citing it, uh, this particular site, we have to ensure that no other group of people are suffering at the expense of the gains of this particular group of people having that site. Harvey, in recent years, we've also seen huge immigration flows into cities, which mm. of course puts great pressure on governments and urban planners. Mm. At the same time, the world is plagued with the challenge of climate change. Now, what would mm. a successful balance between sustainability and urbanisation look like to you, in the Singapore context at least? Well, um, of course, we're dealing with two related trends or goals, but they are kind of dealing with two separate matters. So, so for instance, we know that urbanization or urban living uh, really is the kind of living that takes a toll on the environment and will result in uh, far greater uh, negative environmental impact. So that's the part of urbanization. But then... Um, urban living, uh, there are things that individuals can do mm-hmm. to elevate uh, the kinds of negative impact that they, they emit. So for urbanization, I think there is much scope for the individuals to do something. Of course, some of these uh, negative impacts right, would result in problems that would cause a serious problem with our uh, sustainability goal. And some of these solutions right, are actually beyond the hands of the individuals in terms of the resources that is required, the infrastructure building that's required. So there is another side of the equation, which is the role of the government, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in moderating the harmful effect of urban living in order to contribute to sustainability. So then the government has to do something as well. So in my sense, uh, it's not a, really a question of balance, but uh, a clear understanding of the role every actor in a city can play. Interesting perspective that we're speaking with Harvey Neo, Senior Fellow at the Singapore University of Technology and Design's Lee Kuan Yew Centre for Innovative Cities. Harvey, we're increasingly encroaching into what used to be territory for our native wildlife as we develop previously unurbanized areas. And very frequently, we hear about human-wildlife conflicts, such as that with uh, long-tailed macaques and wild boars. We understand that you're working with MPARCs to explore how humans can better coexist with urban wildlife. Now, could you share more details on areas that you're looking at currently? Uh, yes, so this is a two-year study and we are in the final stages of the study. And there have been really very few previous studies on human and urban wildlife interaction in Singapore. So our first objective for the study is to really uh, get a baseline understanding. In other words, to conduct uh, what essentially is a human-animal census of Singapore. Mm -hmm. So we asked a cross-section of people, about 2,000 of them, all kinds of questions about likely uh, encounters with animals, not just market and wild boars that you mentioned, but Mm -hmm. Uh, a whole uh, spectrum of uh, urban wildlife uh, commonly found in Singapore. Mm. So, so we have that, and we also have lots of life experiences, uh, uh, details, and social demographic background of these people. So what we intend to do is to see whether there are any explanatory uh, factors that drive particular attitudes towards uh, animals. Since we have a large example, we, we were thinking that we could probably draw some conclusions. There are some initial uh, conclusions that we have drawn, for instance, because we asked uh, of their religion, and it seems that uh, professing a religion 
does not really make any difference to whether you treat animals better mm. or you like animals better. However, we found that, and there's a, another question that is related to religiosity, but we asked them about spirituality, you know, about how spiritual do they uh, consider themselves. So, professing religion is a, a non-factor, but those who pro- proclaim themselves to be more spiritual, we have found that they generally have a very a healthy and a positive attitudes towards a whole, a whole array of animals. So these are the, the, the kind of nuances that we hope to see uh, and, and, and study from our research. Okay, so we've just emerged from a big pandemic, right? Based on your own observation, how does urban planning affect our resilience as a nation during a crisis like that? And are there areas you feel Singapore can look into enhancing? Yes, I, I think for Singapore, we have done well in the sense that spatially, our infrastructure has been planned so well uh, that, for instance, amenities that we require for our day-to-day living, it's actually located quite close to uh, where we stay. So in that sense, this pandemic, you know, with all the, the, the social distancing measure and the travel restrictions, mm-hmm. it actually does show that uh, we have an idea and we have a good idea in our urban planning. So that it, it was a problem that did not even arise because of our planning. I guess another example would be how many of our urban infrastructure can be repurposed with rapid frequency and uh, with minimal fast. So when there were requirements for increased hospital beds, for instance, we could convert a warehouse, we could convert expo halls, you know, to, to serve alternative purpose in times of crisis. So I think that it really speaks out of our urban planning. You're asking about areas that you feel Singapore can enhance. Mm-hmm. Perhaps people, that's not really <laughs> what the urban planner can really do directly. But I guess Singaporeans perhaps need to also possess a kind of uh, mental resilience. That's how I see it. All right. Thank you very much for your insights, Harvey. We've been speaking with Harvey Neo, Senior Fellow at the Singapore University of Technology and Design's Lee Kuan Yew Center for Innovative Cities. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.